presidential contender Prabowo Subianto and his campaign team rejected the official presidential election results announced by the General Election Commission, or KPU as it's called, and they filed a lawsuit against the Constitutional Court in May. But on June 27th, the court rejected it and said that they failed to provide sufficient evidence to support their claim that mass voting irregularities and systematic electoral fraud occurred during the presidential election. And just to explain how we got to this point, um, so let's recap some of the events. Although credible quick count surveys for the presidential election in April placed incumbent Widodo more than 10% points ahead of his contender Prabowo, the official KPU presidential election results weren't released until May 22nd. At that point, Widodo received 55.5% of the vote, while Prabowo received 44.5%. Prabowo and his coalition rejected these results. Now, back on election day in April, Prabowo claimed that the election was flawed and that there were mass voting irregularities, manipulation, systematic and structured electoral fraud that has taken place. And he and his team claim that his ticket actually received over 50% of the vote but had been cheated from victory as a result of the manipulation. So they called for Widodo to be disqualified and called for free and fair vote tabulation or in the worst case, redo the entire election. The media and political pundits provided their analysis and the international media wrote headlines such as Prabowo takes election fight all the way to the court. While other headlines were, a move that would escalate tensions in the country. So there seems to be an air of fear that the lawsuit brought this year would have significant bearing on Indonesia's social and political stability. And it is evident of the ever-widening polarization and deepened political divides. I'm Sean Corrigan. And I'm Tanita. This is Indonesia In-Depth. Throughout the history of Indonesian elections, losing candidates have always brought claims to the constitutional court. And many of those individuals remain political players today and are on both sides, in the government coalition and in the opposition. Yes, so we had a lot of people bringing in lawsuits against the election results since 1999. Basically since the end of the new order. Since the fall of Suharto. Yeah. Uh, there was election in 1999, which was not originally scheduled, but the election schedule was accelerated as a result of the fall of Suharto and the new order in 1998. And this was an indirect election, much different than today. Yeah. So voters back then chose political parties, not the individual representatives, and the parties determined who their representatives would be. The president and vice president, on the other hand, were determined by the upper and lower house through voting. You know, one interesting note about this election is that this was the first time that the newly established KPU was in charge of the election process. And in stark difference with how it was during the new order, there were a huge number of parties contending that election. Yeah, that's true. It was a massive undertaking with 48 political parties competing and is categorized by most observers as Indonesia's first free and fair election since 1955. 
But as you can imagine, though, the process was imperfect. Uh, complaints of electoral irregularities did exist, given the lack of experience with such a task, uh, the enormous time constraints and instability during a transition to a democracy. But international observers stated that although there had been shortcomings, uh, they didn't appear to have a major impact on the election results. And there were parties that disputed the election, right? Out of the 48 political parties, 27 rejected the results back then. Now keep in mind, this was a general election, not a presidential election, because of the different system back then. What's interesting to point out, though, is that the Constitutional Court wasn't established until 2003, so they weren't responsible for handling election disputes as they are now. Instead, there was this complicated process for election disputes that even involved the president and other institutions. Yeah, and the president even had to issue a presidential decree that officially declared the winners of that election. So resolving election disputes was much more complicated back then and quite different from today. And the Constitutional Court's first involvement in an election dispute was in 2004. Mm-hmm. And so speaking of 2004, that was the first time Indonesia held direct elections as well. And there were a whopping five presidential tickets in the race. Yes, yeah, so you had a long list of candidates for president, which included many familiar names such as retired General Wiranto, Megawati Sukarno Putri, Amin Rais. And in addition to this, you had Susilo Bangbang Yudhoyono, who was running for president, and Yusuf Kala on his VP ticket, and another candidate from the PPP party. Those are many of the same political operators as we know now. So Wiranto is currently the coordinating minister for political, legal, and security affairs. Megawati is, uh, of course, the founder and chairwoman of PDIP party, the party that supported Jokowi. Amin Ra'is is the founder of Pan Party and now a loyal supporter f- supporter of Prabowo. So many familiar mm-hmm. faces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so how did the race turn out at the time? Uh, that election went to a second round as no ticket won over 50% of the vote. In round two, it was a landslide victory for SBY in Kala over Megawati Hashim. And SBY won 60% of the vote. Although Wiranto received just 22% of the vote and was eliminated in the first round, he filed a complaint with the Constitutional Court disputing the election results, claiming that there were voting irregularities in 26 provinces impacting over 1 million votes. The irregularities focused on things such as ballots being poked more than once and things like that. Wiranto's claim was ultimately rejected by the court. So even when someone has clearly lost by huge margins and no amount of irregular votes could work to their favor, they still brought claims for the constitutional court anyway, right? Uh, Which is sort of the case now as well, because this year there's a difference of like 16 million votes, and that's huge. A double-digit margin around 11% in this election means that it is not a very tight race to begin with. Yeah, 11% is a big margin uh, in 2019 election, 16 and a half million votes or so, as you said. So now let's shift to the 2009 election, which also had election lawsuits filed by some candidates. There were three presidential tickets in that election. SBY ran for re-election, of course, uh, with a strong coalition behind him. Megawati ran again for president, but this time with Prabowo Subianto as her VP candidate. 
They were backed by PDIP and Garindra parties. And finally, you had Yusuf Kala, who ran with his old pal Wiranto, supported by Golkar. In that year, SBY clearly won by a landslide with 60% of the vote. So I think he was the only one who didn't file a lawsuit. Exactly. So as a result, there was only one round with SBY taking 60% of the vote. He was followed by Megawati, who received 26.7% of the vote, and then Kala received 12.4%. But as with the 2004 election, candidates in 2009 disputed the presidential election results in the Constitutional Court. Both Megawati and Kala filed separate cases in the court, with Kala claiming voting irregularities in allegations of fraud and manipulation of the voter list. They claimed that the use of different registration processes for voter registration and that ballots with multiple pokes impacted the vote results. Megawati and Prabowo, on the other hand, claimed that there were irregularities in the voter registration list. So basically, almost everyone whose interests are not served well um, decided to bring a claim, which I suppose is also natural because it's a law-given right to these people. But again, I can't help but see that the players who ran for candidacy and brought these cases in 2009 are pretty much the same faces that we see today, but just on different sides. Yeah, it's many of the same players. I think the only change now is that in 2019, SBY is out of the race as he has already served uh, two terms in office uh, and can't run. But he's still an important player as chairman of the Democratic Party and a senior statesman. Just on a side note here uh, about Megawati and Prabowo, uh, to give more context, although today it may seem that Garindra is the arch enemy of PDIP and Megawati, we should remember that Megawati and Prabowo have had a long relationship and ran side by side in 2009. Mega Prabowo, pekerjaan untuk keluarga, harga murah untuk bahan pangan dan bahan bakar, sekolah dan buku gratis. In fact, they had an agreement together that Prabowo would support Mega as president in 2009. And in return, she and PDIP would support him to run for president in 2014. Megawati instead supported Widodo in that election, breaking the agreement that they had, which is politics, I guess. Saya berteman baik dengan Pak Prabowo. Pak Prabowo kangen loh, Bu, sama nasi gorengnya. Nasi goreng yang luar biasa enaknya. Nasi goreng ini menyaingi nasi goreng hambalang. Mm-hmm. We were talking earlier today about the lack of ideologies in political parties in Indonesia and how politicians come and go from various parties uh, quite easily. Perhaps you can touch on that for a bit. It's an important point to be aware of. This comes up in 
some discussions I have with executives or foreign diplomats. Ideologies are not the foundation of political parties in Indonesia. They are driven by personalities mostly. The race between Widodo and Prabowo was based on the individuals, not the party ideologies. PDIP and Gurindra aren't very different at the end of the day. I mean, what does the Democratic Party stand for or represent, for example? It just represents the founder, SBY. Yeah. Uh, so back to the 2009 election lawsuit. So the court ultimately rejected Megawati's and Kala's appeal, right? The court rejected both of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So all the lawsuits against the election results have always been rejected by the court. Is that right? All of the disputes related to the presidential election have been rejected. Mm. But there have been some lawsuits that have been accepted by the court. And the court has made decisions that impacted election results. And this is all at the local level. Let me just summarize it briefly so it's a little bit clearer. For the 2004 legislative election, there were 273 disputes filed in the Constitutional Court against the KPU, but only 38 were accepted. In the 2009 election, there were 628 disputes with a tiny fraction accepted by the Constitutional Court. In 2014, there were over 900 lawsuits with 38 accepted by the court. And as a result, there were some recounts and a number of legislative seats were changed uh, at the local level as well. And for this year's election, there were 341 lawsuits filed. All of the lawsuits mentioned involved a whole host of parties. And in some cases, the court did order recounts and some local level legislative seats were impacted. So just from that alone, you can see how small the magnitude of the claims were this year, which is around just over 300. Yeah, right. So many of them are at the local level, you say. Uh, which I think makes sense um, because it's more, I would say it's more straightforward to argue and adjudicate what's going on in, say, a region or district with 200 voters, for example. But going back to the presidential election, one might think that this year's claim sounds more serious because one of the allegations that Prabowo and his coalition constantly push forward is this massive, widespread and systematic fraud. Um, But actually, what people need to know is that it's not the first time that this allegation is used. Because in 2004, Megawati and Prabowo also used the same lingo. Yeah, this is not the first time that these terms have been used. Unfortunately, I'm not sure what threshold the court would use uh, to test it. As far as I recall, there was one case where widespread and systematic electoral fraud was proven. Mm -hmm. So they have happened before. Yeah, there was a case in 2010 in a gubernatorial election in West Kota Waringin in uh, central Kalimantan, where the Gurindra-backed incumbent lost and filed a claim in the constitutional court, citing widespread and systematic fraud by his opponent who was accused of money politics impacting over tens of thousands of voters and also had allegations of large-scale campaign violations. The case was accepted and the court decided in favor of the incumbent and he ended up winning in a second term. And the truth is, Prabowo's claims that were brought this year, including the massive widespread and systematic election fraud allegations, are pretty much identical to the claims made in 2014. In that election, Prabowo's legal team claimed that there were organized manipulation of the vote, that over 52,000 polling stations were impacted by fraudulent voter activity, and that a revote was needed. As we mentioned, The court declared that there was no clear evidence 
provided by Prabowo's legal team in 2014. And the case was rejected. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes I still wonder that maybe this his claims this year are at a different level. So the fact that he and his coalition constantly refer to the system being inherently broken and, you know, with some of his people, his loyal followers, who are convinced with it, I think that even with the claims being rejected by the court, what they have in their mind, the reality that they have in their mind is still that the system is broken. Well, that's another thing, right? People fear polarization and a social divide. There are many variables. Mm. The fact that there are two presidential tickets, so your choice is one or the other, right? And when you look at the party's platforms, they're more or less the same between, say, PDIP and Garindra. So I'm not so sure that I would consider that a quote-unquote polarization of the voters. Sorry, so you're saying that because the parties are pretty much the same, they then look at the personalities instead, right? And what they carry as the values that they carry themselves. Going back to our discussion before that the political parties are non-ideological beasts and they basically only represents the person or the head of the, of the party. Yeah, the parties don't have strong ideologies. And if you look at, say, Gurindra and PDIP, I mean, they're natural partners, if you look at it uh, from their sort of the nationalist uh, party background, but that's as far as it goes in their ideology. Um, And another point to look at is that many of these parties, say PDIP, Gurindra, they actually partner at the local level, at the local elections on one ticket. So they're working together to support the same candidate often at the at the local level. And if I recall correctly, in 2018 local elections, uh, Garindra and PDIP supported at least 48 candidates who were running for um, elections. So they, they work together at the local level. So there's not this uh, major divide between mm-hmm. the two parties, mm-hmm. uh, especially at the local level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, we're, we've been talking about the elites all the time, the ones that are in the government and the political players. But I think we need to acknowledge that on the ground, there are people who are absolutely convinced with the narrative that Prabowo and his coalition brought and would pretty much do anything for the cause. I don't really see it that way, though. Um, the 2014 election had polarization, not because of the candidates' platforms exactly, but because of the perception of what the candidates themselves represented. The election campaign themes became somewhat of a quote-unquote crossroad for Indonesia. The argument of many at the time was, did the voters need a strong, decisive, Suharto-style leader, such as Prabowo Subianto, or did they need to take a risk with this new face on the national scene who represented the next generation of leaders in the country? That was Joko Widodo. There were very strong opinions among voters on this, much more than in this recent election in 2019. You have to remember that Indonesia just came out of 10 years of the Yudhoyono administration. Widodo was this local politician, untested at the national level, and definitely not a national player. While Prabowo was on his third election bid, a former three-star general, former son-in-law of President Suharto, and also a powerful businessman. 
He also had a strong coalition behind him in support of many of the elites, unlike in the recent election in 2019. So in the minds of many of the voters, the election wasn't about platforms and programs, but was about what type of leader the country needs. But since the candidates are the same in 2019, does that mean that the voters see this once again as being at a crossroad, old versus new? No, it's much different this time. Widodo has proven himself on the national stage and was an incumbent with a track record. He was able to get out of the shadow of PDIP chairwoman Megawati and has consolidated power after a difficult one and a half years in office. And in this year's election, he was running on his track record as president. Prabowo, on the other hand, was running again after being defeated by this guy who was a local political player from Solo that he himself supported politically and financially to become governor of Jakarta just two years prior. Prabowo also had a much smaller coalition and less support from the elite as he did in 2014. Again, in 2014, he had a lot of financial support and had a good coalition behind him, but not in 2019. Yeah, I think it should be noted here that Prabowo Subianto, as at the time the head of Garindra, was supporting many local players that they, they deem are rising stars. And Joko Widodo was one of them. Yeah, Prabowo and his brother Hashim were their main people who actually mm-hmm. brought uh, Jokowi and also Ahok uh, to Jakarta. And I think it's interesting to remember that Ahok, uh, the former deputy governor of Jakarta, then governor of Jakarta, was actually a Garindra member. Yeah. Before he resigned. Resigned, yeah, and become uh, PDIP now. And he's now PDIP. Mm-hmm. But when he came to Jakarta as a deputy governor, he was uh, in Prabowo's party. Yeah. Again, this this emphasizes again how fluid these people are and within the parties that they're moved and driven um, by either political strategies um, maybe there's some values to it, but more towards that and not because there are some clearly differentiating, clearly discerning lines and values and beliefs. Rangkaian kecurangan yang demikian terstruktur, terencana dan masif. Kalau rakyat tidak percaya lagi kepada sistem yang dibangun, kemana lagi mereka berharap? So now in the 2014 election, Prabowo rejected the KPU presidential election results, claiming that the system is broken and the people's constitutional rights have been violated. And the court has rejected their claim just like in 2019. So back in 2014, Prabowo's coalition said that it was an injustice happening and that the people are at a tipping point uh, due to electoral fraud and that large scale violence was on the horizon as a result. But what happened? There were no mass demonstrations, let alone violence. Things were peaceful. And what happened following the 2014 presidential elections? Voters still believed in the election process and participated in numerous local elections that followed. And when it came to the 2019 legislative and presidential elections, with a rematch of Widodo and Prabowo, voter participation was even higher than in 2014. Turnout was higher, not smaller. Yang sekali lagi 
lagi tidak luar biasa Ibu Megawati dan Pak Prabowo Subianto Pak Yusuf Kala dengan Pak Wiranto juga tidak menerima hasil KPU So Prabowo's election lawsuit is in line with many of the past elections, despite all the hype about it. Yes, he did raise it to a higher level, saying that the entire system is broken. But again, this wasn't the first time that this has happened. So yeah, it seems like in the end of the day, this whole commotion just reveals human nature, in my opinion. Like anyone whose interests are served will say that the system is all right and everything can be resolved through the legal mechanisms. Exactly. But then... Yeah, but then when people are at the disadvantaged side, they would say that there's something wrong with the conduct or even further, um, the system itself. And we can't say this enough since we already say this a lot in our previous episode, Appreciating Indonesia's Election. Make sure you listen to that if you haven't. So there are tons of problems in Indonesia's election and many things to improve. But there are still more things that are going right than things that are not. Yeah, I can't agree more, and I think that sums it up well. Now, as we look forward, there's no maximum age limit for running for president in Indonesia, and Prabowo can run again if he remains healthy, has the funds and a coalition behind him. But the next race may be more difficult for him to win, as there are the next generation of leaders preparing to compete already. He has actually run for president four times. His first attempt, when he was a member of the Golkar Party in 2004, but in the end, he wasn't nominated by the party, but he still tried. So losing four times is quite a lot, and people see that. Yes, um, new young leaders have been prepared from at this point. It would, I would say it would be amazing to see if he wants to run again next, in the next election. Because it seems like it'll show that he has like very strong perseverance. So the 2019 election is over. Now all eyes are on who will make up the new cabinet in October. The composition of his new cabinet in late October will shed light on how much power the president will have in his second term and how much influence his coalition and Megawati will have on his policies going forward. We'll just have to wait and see what happens and we'll be covering this as well. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much, John, for taking the time and discuss with me about this. Thank you. Election season may be over, but we have so much more to uncover from this election. So on the presidential case, like, except for 2014, these weren't close elections. You don't steal 15 million votes without leaving footprints. What it means is people should really chill out about the perpetual scare stories on like, did PKS gain votes? Does that mean Sharia is coming for that's, all of us? Yeah, we hear that all too often. Um, yeah. I think that's about the only story the foreign press knows how to write. And this time, it involves birthdays? That's a lot of July births there. Well, it turns out there's a very good reason. As usual, thanks so much for listening, everyone. Drop us an email at info at indonesiaindepth.com if you want to send us feedbacks, comments, and pitch us stories. And stay updated with us by following our Twitter at Indonesia in Depth. And you can follow me on LinkedIn. The link is in our show description. On LinkedIn, I post articles of the episodes and other information. So stay updated there as well. Mm -hmm. Make sure to check all of them. And thanks for listening. 
This episode was produced by Sean Corrigan, edited by Sean and myself, Tanita, and researcher is by Veronica. Thanks for listening. See you soon. <laughs>